I'm also a little bit excited because this afternoon uh, we're doing something that we haven't done before, family pictures. Now, I don't know if you've actually tried this. Maybe some of you are like annual into the family picture deal, but this is like all out. My sister is on her way. I'm checking to see if my parents made it. Okay, so my parents are coming. My sister and her family are coming. My uh, wife's parents, my wife's brother, his family, my wife's other brother and his family. It's all y'all party, like professional photographer. We're like, this is what you have to wear, and Jesus loves you, and we need you to wear this, and you're going to smile, and we're going to have this forever. So it's going to be great. I really am so, whew, just hoping they turn out. Uh, but the picture thing got me thinking about one of my favorite, uh, my sister and I, the very rare times we'd get along, uh, but one of our favorite pastimes when it was a storm day, if you had these, I lived in northern Minnesota, so I had these a lot, uh, or a really, really stormy, rainy day, my family, my dad had this old, weathered, green photo album that barely, barely was, in fact, we had to change it, he my sister and I used it so much that pictures started falling out. And these are like three by three. They didn't even have four by six. Nobody knew what a four by six photo was. They didn't even have Polaroid actually here. Uh, they didn't have color, but he had all these black and white photos from his childhood. And we would pull this open and we would look through this. And my dad would uh, tell us story after story about the pictures. We saw his um, older sister holding him for the first time uh, when he was born. And then we saw pictures of my dad holding his younger brother and his little sister when they were born. And then the house that my grandma and grandpa put together, uh, maybe put together is not the right word, but she still lives in it to this day. And so he'd tell us that story. And then he tells the story of his first bicycle. And then he told us the story of his first day of school, and he told us the story of his first, uh, let's turn the page, his first hockey game, because he started playing hockey. And uh, his first dance is down here in the corner, and uh, you'll see that he's barely, like he is trying as hard as he can to be taller than this girl, and he's like in ninth grade there. So, uh, But every picture had a story. And, uh, and then turn the, let's go one more. Okay, so one of our favorite stories was when my mom enters the picture. She's down in the lower right-hand corner, the blonde babe down there. And then my grandpa giving my, my dad a haircut, and then my dad giving my grandpa a haircut. So, see, these stories, though, they're more than stories. Uh, because my dad, like, did the same thing with me. And I saw this picture, and then he's like, oh, son, your hair's getting long. You know, it's touching your collar. We'd be okay, you want to do mine? And, um, and I couldn't really mess it up because he didn't have much. Um, let's go back to the last one. And so every one of these pictures told more than just a story. There was one um, photo that they had a two-and-a-half, three-stall garage, and this is in the 50s when you know, people barely had one-stall garage. And as soon as we saw this picture, we'd say, Dad, tell us that story. And so my dad would get started, and he'd say, Well, you know... Grandma and Grandma were really poor, and uh, one day he was, he was coming home from the mines, and he was working, and, and their house is a couple hundred yards from the railroad tracks. And as the railroad tracks, um, there, the railroad crew was working on connecting these two railroad tracks, and he happened to be walking by as he's coming home from work, and he sees these two connect, and he sees dozens and dozens of tar-filled, thick wood, eight by ten, eight feet to ten foot long railroad ties 
dozens of them laying on the side of the side of the railway. And and my grandpa says, well, what are you, you going to do with those? And the guys are like, we're kind of hoping you wouldn't ask that. We just wanted to throw them in the woods. And he's like, I'll take care of that for you. And he marches home and he gets my dad, who's eight years old, who's about this tall. And he's like, son, we've got a little work to do. And they carry over a hundred of these, a hundred pounds each. My dad at eight years old on one side and my grandpa on the other side. And they used a hundred railroad ties to put up this garage, which to this day is barely standing. But that's what they did. And he told us this story. And like I said, this story, this is way more than a story. Because this story just doesn't speak of my dad's life. It speaks into my life. That's why I'm getting a little emotional about it. Sorry. And when, when stories speak into our life, they, they become larger and they root us to a larger past and they connect us to a larger present. And I think they even shape our future. And that's why stories are so important and family stories are so important. And today I want to share some family stories, not about my family, not even really about restoration, but, but about the larger kingdom of God story. Because that story does, it connects us to the past, a larger past, and it, it connects us to a larger present, and it even shapes our future. And so it's important to know the story. And it's not something that we really spend a lot of time on. We don't like go, hey, today we're going to hear from God's word, church history. It just doesn't reek of something that I'm, I, I like long to stand up and, and talk about. But, but I've had too many people say like, Restoration Covenant Church. Now, is that like a convent? Do you have a bunch of nuns? I'm like, uh, no, not really. Okay, so uh, what, do you, what does that mean? Do you like just believe all this covenant theology too? Or are you into this other progressive kind of? No, that's not really it either. So I thought, okay, if we're going to talk about why we do what we do, we should really talk about this, this name. What does this covenant thing mean? So, because our, our, our name, just like my name, is Robert Thomas Jacobson, and if you call me that, I'll think I'm in trouble, um, or I'll look to see if it's my mom, uh, but we're Restoration Covenant Church, and sometimes we might go by Restoration, and sometimes we might go by Restoration Church, and sometimes we might even go Restoration Community, but our full name is Restoration Covenant Church, and while that sounds kind of churchy, which I really don't like, I like that we connect with a larger story. And it roots us to a people beyond ourselves. It, in fact, it roots us all the way into the kingdom of God, into the birth of the kingdom of God. And so that's important to talk about. And last week, we looked at um, the Bible and we looked at Exodus. And so if you have one and you want to turn to Exodus 19, we're going to start there. And I don't want you to hear history today. I don't want you to hear um, old stuff about the covenant today. What I want you to hear today is us pulling open the green weathered photo album and us hearing the stories and seeing the pictures and realizing what are we rooted to in the past, what connects us in the present, and what can even shape our future. And so let's pray before we open God, we thank you for your word, and, and we know that your word is central to what we do, and your spirit has to guide everything. And, and Jesus, you 
are our king, and so we pray that you, God, would speak to us through this time, and as we look at some things in history, good, bad, and ugly, that your, your followers um, did or tried to do, a lot they got right and, and many things they got wrong, I pray that, that you would speak through that and to us today that, that might guide our future as we long to be your people, connected to you, God, in your, in your worship and in your mission. Amen. And in Exodus 19, we're, we're, we're going to look at this. We looked at it last week, but Exodus 19, 4 through 6, uh, many scholars believe this is the birth of the nation of Israel, which is a really big deal. And this is when they come up to the mountain, uh, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. They're about to get the Ten Commandments. They're about to make this sacred promise between God and this, this group of people, this people that, that they didn't choose to be this. They're certainly not good. God's grace just said, hey, I want you. And in uh, verse 4 it says, You've seen what I've done in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're supposed to speak to these people. And so this is, this is where God sets it up and he says, I want you to be a called out group of people. I want you to be different, not by your own goodness, but by God's grace. And I want you to worship me with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. And I want you to hear that, he said. And then I want you to be a representative, be priests, represent God to the rest of the world, not just yourselves, the rest of the world. And in that place, you will speak for me and I will work through you and all the nations of the world will be blessed. You have these tasks. Worship me and mission, be on mission for me, represent me. These two tasks of worship and mission. And so the nation of Israel, also called the Jews, they ultimately failed to do this. They didn't worship God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength, and they failed at joining God's mission to restore what he had started. And they just failed at loving their neighbors. They missed it. And yet, God didn't give up on them. God sent prophets people to speak for him. God sent uh, even kings to come and to reform his chosen people, to, to ask them to repent or to change their mind, to turn and come back and do these two tasks of worship and mission. And, and over and over, they wouldn't do it. They just failed. They made worship a show. They made their sacrifices more important than how they lived and how they treated others. They added rules to God's laws. They laid heavy religious burdens on people. So even people that were trying, even people that were trying to do it right, being faith-filled, they couldn't follow them. And maybe that's the best way to say it. They made their faith a religion. How many of us have experienced that before? Where our faith has become a religion or what we're trying to see, and we're trying to see in Jesus, we just see religion. And it broke God's heart. One prophet said it this way in Hosea. He said, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. And, and I want you to know me more than I want your burnt offerings. I don't want the show. I want your heart 
And God sent Jesus, who was a Jew, who was a rabbi, who was a priest, who was a prophet, to say, hey, this thing of worship and mission, like, we need to do that. We need to be reformed. We need to repent. We need to come back to God. We need to turn from our religion and have genuine faith, which means trust and dependence in God as the true king. And he did it. Like, he fulfilled what Israel couldn't do. He succeeds at loving God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength. He succeeds at loving his neighbor. He succeeds at this mission. He succeeds so much at it that he dies for these people to bring them back to God. And some of these people, these group of Jews, they get it. And they don't just get reformed. They get reformed. Israel, true Israel, the remnant becomes the church of Jesus Christ. And this group of people, I mean, this catches on. Like, they do crazy things. Like, they don't just worship God on the Sabbath. They worship God on a new day. Who knew that? And, and then they, they loved people radically and generously. And this just, they turn from the religion. They get their faith. They get this genuine trust in the one true king who reveals himself in Jesus. And this goes crazy, like catches on like wildfire. Like if you ever heard a, a brand new baby who I think left, um, but that catches its voice for the first time and they start laughing And all of a sudden, they just start laughing incessantly, and you can't stop, and it's kind of cute. It's kind of like that. It's like two people who are, like, madly in love, and they just can't keep their hands, I mean, eyes, eyes off each other. They can't keep their eyes off each other. Let's keep it pure um, for God. And so these, I mean, they're just, that's what they are. They're magnetic. They're attractive. They're going crazy, and they worship God fully with everything they have. They give, they, they, they get in each other's life. And by the power of God's spirit, they do mission. They go and tell people this good news that Jesus like, didn't come to save them from religion or change their religion or modify or make it supersized. He came to turn them back to God to have true faith. And so these people, they get it. And, and it's crazy for about 300 years. I don't want to paint everything as perfect, but... It was organic, meaning that it was growing and reproducing, and there was a little bit of organization, but not a ton. It wasn't super structured, just as much to support what they were doing, but very little structure, and it was really cool, and it just spread through the Roman Empire. So much so that one Roman emperor, Constantine, he trusts Jesus. Some historians say it was right at the end of his life. But he decides to make Christianity the religion, the official religion of the Roman Empire. And there's like one really good thing about that. Like the awful torture and murder and persecution of Jesus' people, that stopped mostly. But the really bad news was that the church became an institution. And so faith became a religion again. And when the church and the state combined, not only does faith become a religion, but religion turns into power and prestige. Prestige meaning like you're in or you're out. And this is not good. And then I could talk a lot about, I think we have actually a tree. Can we throw that tree up? that talks about our little journey there. We could talk about 
the good, the bad, and the ugly, or the great schism, or all these things that if you're really interested, um, we could go there. But we'll, we'll just skip ahead uh, to about 1500, and one Roman Catholic and German priest named Martin Luther, he just, he couldn't, he couldn't take the religion anymore. And so he nailed 95 proposals to a church door. He wanted to talk. He wanted to debate. He wanted to pray. He wanted to reform the church. He wanted to get this back on track. He wanted religion to become a faith again. And a couple of things he wanted to change. People weren't reading the Bible. In fact, people weren't really understanding religious services. Because for several hundred years, nobody really spoke Latin anymore but the priest still did the mass in Latin. Now, one time uh, I had a student way back in youth ministry whose dad was Greek Orthodox and Greek, or grandpa, and so I went to the Greek Orthodox funeral, and they did it all in Greek. And it was really special and super uh, holy and kind of sacred, and I had no idea what was going on. And that's what this was like. Nobody had any idea what was going on, and the priest literally kept people from understanding the Bible. Nobody passed out Bibles. Nobody got to read God's word. And, and so Luther said, hey, remember that verse, that second Peter, where the apostle said, you will be a kingdom of priests, tied it back to Exodus 19. Yeah, we should be that. If we have Jesus, then we're all priests. We all represent God. We don't need an additional mediator to go to God. So when you come back for prayer, we pray with you. We don't pray on behalf of you. Because you and I have direct access to God. That's what he was saying. He also spoke of grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace, God's riches, ever flowing. For it is by grace that you've been saved. And this is not of anything that we've done. It's not by works. Nobody gets to boast about it. And no one understood this grace. And, and Luther, for most of his life, didn't understand this grace. But he finally got that we become right with God, not by what we do, not through religion, not through sacrifice, not through thinking good theological thoughts, not through money, because unfortunately one of the greatest tragedies was that that at this time the Holy Roman Empire was selling indulgences, which was like you could pay to have your dead relatives taken out of purgatory or hell and brought into heaven. Isn't that a great theological thought? And he's like, we shouldn't do that because we don't get saved through money. We get saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's that. And we've, guys, we've missed it. Gals, we've missed it. And he set out to reform the church, and what happened was the church was reformed again. And so you have grace hitting the streets. You have Bibles hitting the streets. You have about this time the printing press, like sending it through, kind of like the internet has changed the way that we do so much. Well, the printing press changed the way that everything happened. And so now the, the people have the word of God, and they're like, this is amazing, and it just spreads, kind of like that spreading that happened in the 300s. It spread again, like a tube of toothpaste that you, you, know, you squeeze too hard and you get about this much and you only want it about that much and you try to put it back in. You can't do that. Same thing. The grace just spilled out. And people were like, this is awesome. And, and there's so many good, good, good things about the Reformation. And there's so many good, good things about Luther's faith. 
in the Lutheran faith. And so over the next couple hundred years, lots of churches and groups and denominations were started, as you can see. But the bad part was that a lot of these influential church leaders they, they wanted to have the priesthood of believers, or like they wanted to take that idea that everyone had access to God, but they forgot about this little part that we shouldn't tie the church to the state. And they kept that. And so this good Lutheran faith became Lutheranism and a religion again. Again. In fact, Germany, Sweden, pretty much every northern European country made Lutheranism the official religion. And you couldn't, like, you couldn't be a citizen if you weren't baptized into the state Lutheran church. You certainly couldn't get married. And so, and so if you're not, still not sure if church and state should be separated, like when the government runs the church, this is what happened. There's no stewardship. We don't have to offer any money because if the church needs money, we just raise taxes. Wouldn't that be awesome? No, I don't think so. Um, there wouldn't be any evangelism because everybody needs to be a part of the church. Like, it's what you do. And if there's ever a conflict, we shouldn't love people. We shouldn't listen better. We shouldn't, like, ask God's spirit how to reconcile. No, that just goes all the way up to the king. And when the king hears the conflict, guess what he does? More power, more control. This is not good. And so one guy that most of us probably don't know named Philip Spiner, he said, this is, this is not good. And he wrote about, we should get back to these things that we talked about. Um, and he said, we should, we should not just have the Bible, we should actually read it. There's no reason. Everyone has access to it now. We should read it, and it should, we should listen to it. And, and pastors, they should actually talk about the Bible when they talk, not, not whether Calvinism or Luther or any of these theological controversies, which one's right? Let's just talk about the Bible. Let's help people when we talk. Why are we talking about church history then? We'll get there. Promise. Um, we should have some restraint in religious controversies, he said. Because we can, we can disagree, but not so much that we hate each other and not so much that people call each other heretics because remember, when you use the word heretic, which means you're not believing the right things, people get... Um, Bad stuff happens to them. I see some uh, younger people in the room, so let's just say bad stuff happens to them. And he said that we should all have a part in ministry. It shouldn't just go to some elite few. We should all be involved. And when faith becomes a religion, then fewer and, people, fewer, and fewer people get involved. And then he said, you know, if we're going to believe this, it should actually make a difference in our life. Like, if we affirm some kind of faith, it should affect how we live. And so these people that believed this guy, they actually did social justice before it was even called social justice. Radical. They started hospitals because people didn't have medical care. They started schools because not everybody got educated. They did these things out of their Christian faith. And finally, he said, you know what? Like these people that get up to share God's word, it shouldn't be all up here. Like who they're becoming connected to God should be just as important as what they're learning and what they're doing. And I tell you those things 
And I tell you about this strange guy because it's out of that source and that stream of river, if you will, that this idea of the covenant movement springs forth. Because there's a group of people in Sweden, not even Swedish, but there's a group of people in Sweden that just had this holy discontent, not, nothing against the Lutheran faith, but this idea against religion. And they wanted to reform and restore this broken thing. They wanted to have faith again. And so they did things like meet in homes to read and sing and pray and study the Bible together without a pastor. And they had, like, the state church hated this. The king made seven anti-gathering laws over 150 years to try and stop this thing. And every time they made this law, it would just grow more and more powerful, kind of like the underground church in China. Every time they try to go against it, it just grows and grows. And so that's what happened. And they, they believe that everyone should serve, just like this guy Spiner. And they, should, they believe that everybody, like, if you're going to believe in Christ, that should help you live like Christ. And you should have a faith that, like, is marked by love. This is radical stuff. Not just love for anyone, but love for even enemies, which you should ring to. Hey, I think Jesus said that. I think Jesus talked about we should love our enemies. That, that, we, that accountability is a good thing. That we should be able to ask each other, how are you and Jesus doing? How is your faith going? This is radical stuff that these people did. And, and so they were so committed to this thing that they said, you know, we should form a little mission group. We should, we should covenant together. And that's what they call themselves, the Swedish Mission Covenant. They weren't really into cool names. Uh, well, we're Swedish. We want to do this mission and purpose, and we want to covenant together. So, well, let's do that. Let's not be a church. Let's not be a denomination. Let's just be about God's glory and neighbor's good. That was their little cool motto. And so they did that. Famine comes, propels them out of Sweden. They couldn't eat, so they came to America. Between 1880 and 1920, hundreds of thousands of people, Swedish people, end up in America. And now they're not just Swedish, they're just immigrants among immigrants among immigrants. And they're like, hey, I'm new in here, I'm, you're new here, and, and I guess because they're Swedish, they went, where are the most frigid, cold places we could go that would remind us of home? I know, let's just spend the northern country, let's settle in Chicago and Minneapolis, because those places are cold, awful places. And so that's where they ended up. And they just said, but if we're going to join together, let's do what we know. So let's be the Swedish Mission Covenant in America. And let's love people. Let's live out of faith. Let's not make a religion. In fact, let's let anyone join who, who, who is good with that. So their, their verse was Psalm 119.63. I am a friend to anyone who fears you, anyone who obeys your commands. And this unique thing that like anyone could, could come and be a part of it, except for like two questions... Uh, which I'll get to in a second, could be a part of it. Because they didn't want faith to become a religion. They chose the word covenant because it means join together for a purpose. And they said anybody 
who says, yes, Jesus is Lord. He's the Son of God. He lived, he died, he rose again. And anyone who says, hey, the Word of God is, is our best and only rule for faith, creed, and conduct. We don't need a statement of faith because it's the Bible. That's it. That's all we need. That's it. So I'll get emails from people and they'll say, well, like, where do you stand on end, like, when is Jesus going to come back and how is he going to come back and what are the finer details of Revelation? And I'll be like, I'd be happy to have a conversation about that, but that doesn't define who we are as a church. You can disagree about that. Oh, but what about this? Can we have this in our statement of faith? Our statement of faith is the Bible. It's, it's Jesus as Lord. It's the Bible as the word of God and everything else is negotiable. And this is radical. Or at least it makes us unique. And it's because of that, like these people said, hey, we're immigrants among immigrants. We just want it to be easy for people to enter. In fact, we don't really want to have a line and a fence that separates us. If you're good with that and you're willing to negotiate the rest, then come and join us. Let's do mission together. Let's worship God together. And when I think about this, I think about what God did in my life to say yes to restoration, and I see the covenant story in my story. And maybe you see the covenant story in your story. Maybe you didn't like religion, but you wanted faith. And I just couldn't bear to see like one more young person walk away from faith in Jesus because of the religion. And I ache every time I look at my neighbors choose um, busyness or their jobs or their work, well, those are the same thing, or, or their kids, or their kids' success, or distractions, or addictions, anything else but Jesus. I just ache for that, and I say, how can we get more and more about Jesus? And then I think about when, when people choose Jesus, can this be a place where they can grow in their faith? Or will they just see too much religion? And I say, oh, it has to be this has to be a place where people can grow with Jesus. No, like, put all the religion in the corner. Let's make it about faith in Jesus. We have to be able to say that. And I will, I will serve and I will lead till we see that happen. And I pray that you will connect to that. That you will be about faith in Jesus and not just religion. And I'm thankful for the people that do that. That say, I'm going to choose to be here. It's hard. And, um, and sometimes they get tired of driving a trailer or setting up this or doing that or, or leading this or serving in this way. But I'm so thankful that you choose to covenant together, that we join together for a purpose to see people be changed. Not by us, by Jesus. Putting the religion down, raising up Jesus, and, and that should, I hope, root us in a larger past and connect us to a greater presence that any church that says, yes, Jesus is Lord, and, and yes, the Bible is the word of God, is someone that we can partner with and we can champion and is in the kingdom of God with us and even shape our future. What would God say to have us do this this reformed thing of it being about faith and not religion. So like I said before,
It's got to be practical. It's got to be edifying to the people. So what does that mean for you and I? Well, does this mean that, that this is just an hour that we sit on Sundays? Or is this like a, a significant moment in our week? That our life is about worshiping God and being on mission for God. And this just happens to be one important highlight in the week. Does, do, do we allow others in and allow them to say, like, how are you doing with God? Do we allow that? Do we say, it matters how we treat people? Not just here, but especially when we leave here. We want this to be a picture of God's kingdom so that young, old, rich, poor, um, different ethnics, ethnicities or whatever, like everyone is seen equal at the foot of the cross where we're all saying Jesus is king and this is a place where generosity and love can be um, evident. But it has to trickle out the door. So that's where I think our story is and I think where it shapes us. And I pray that you would ask God what in your life can change that God might want to affect. Because it isn't just about the Bible. It's about his story, God's story that streams through our lives. So let's pray. And let's ask God um, what this might mean for you and I. God, I think sometimes for me, I have to remember that, that you have a purpose and you have an agenda that you are bringing to completion and that you are using people that have said, Jesus, you're king. And I want to worship you fully and I want to be joined to that purpose. And God, sometimes I think my own agenda in my life, sometimes gets in the way. And maybe that's some people here. I think sometimes, Lord, we, we say, Jesus, you can be king over here and you can be Lord over here, but maybe not over here. And um, so, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us about that. God, I think maybe sometimes there are people in this room that, that really like the religion, but not the faith. They like to be able to say or point to activity or maybe church attendance to say, there, that means I'm okay. But you call us to a trust and a dependence in you, God. And I pray that you would speak to that. And God, finally, I pray uh, that we wouldn't see the Bible as, as a book or history or a set of rules, but a testimony of you, of who you are, of how you've worked in the world and in humanity and what you will do. So God, connect us to that larger past and that present and that future, that our lives would be shaped by you.